I'd like to thank Craig for coming on. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I always learn something. It, it's a great conversation every time. So uh, thanks again for coming on. If you have an opportunity to go to one of his classes or one of his seminars, make it happen. Go check out Tree Stuff's YouTube page. He's got a, a couple webinars with Tree Stuff, and they're full of information as well. So well worth checking out. One thing I did want to say is in our conversation, I was saying I went to an expo in 2008. It was actually eight years ago in 2013, so I got a couple wires crossed. If you listen to this podcast, you know these things happen, (laughs) so it just is what it is, so you'll have to forgive me for that one. But the conversation was awesome, and I, I really look forward to our next conversation, so again, thanks for coming on, Craig. I also want to thank everybody for listening. You know, it's uh, I appreciate everybody taking some time to listen to what we got to say. Hopefully you get some entertainment and or some knowledge out of it. That's our goal uh, is to add a little value. We're trying to set this up on a value for value system. You know, it's the best way for a true community based podcast compensation. As far as I can tell, nobody wants to hear ads Nobody wants to hear sponsorships. So we just ask if you find value in the podcast, then send us some value. You know, you can do that by sharing the podcast on social media or just sharing it with your friends. Just hit the share button on your phone wherever you listen to it and email it or text it to a buddy that you think might like it. You know, something as simple as that. Or, you know, take a moment to interact on social media. Leave a comment. We always love to hear from you. You can also... In the description, you can find a link if you want to send us uh, some money. That's always appreciated. You know, you can do a one-time payment or you can do a reoccurring payment, you know, or if you have any other ideas on how you could add value to the podcast, just hit us up on the email. That's treethinkingpodcast at gmail. Without further ado, you can take care of some business and then get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast and will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. How long do you plan on getting after it? There is an endless amount of tree work to be done, and you can only do so much. How long do you plan on working in the field? It changes depending on the person and how that person takes care of themselves. Done right Tree work keeps you in great shape, providing a physics lab, gym, and barbershop, where we train our mind, body, and soul. Done wrong, tree work is not fun. It mines healthy bodies in an unsafe work environment. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we look at how to get the most out of what we love to do while taking care of the number one tool. I'm talking about you on health and longevity in tree work.
right, we're back. And on this week, we're going to be talking about, as the uh, intro said, health and longevity and tree work. It's a little bit of a smaller episode. Uh, today, it's just me and Craig, and I look forward to talking about health and longevity and tree work. How you doing, Craig? Oh, oh man, I'm doing great. And this is one of my favorite subjects. And Andrew, it's so good to hear your voice again. And thank you for the opportunity to be back on the podcast. Like, I'm I'm honored that you'd have me once, and it's super cool to be here a second time. Oh, dude, it's it's totally my pleasure. I know everybody else wanted to be here. Uh, it was one of those things. I mean, anybody in tree work understands how late days go, and sometimes the the work is just more than the sunshine. And uh, so, unfortunately, I kept getting these texts like, "Hey, I'm not going to make it tonight. Not going to be able to make it." But every single one was, "Say hi to Craig for me." Oh man, I wish I could be there with Craig. So, uh, hi from the crew. <laughs> We were talking about health and wellness and uh, really the importance of, well, to one's desire, how long do you want to do this work, right? And what can you do to extend your career? I, I thought your setup was perfect. Yeah, well, it it's one of those thoughts I've thought about quite a bit. You know, as somebody I've, I've got about, well, in February, it would be 23 years doing this. And, you know, going at a, for most of it, it's been a lead climber, just get after it mode, you know, and I've always... I've always kind of taken pride in the fact that I took care of myself, many different activities, a lot of stretching, because coming up in the industry, I saw a lot of the people that I looked up to, and as we worked, I'd see some of them watch their bodies break down, and then I saw the people that took care of themselves, and their career continued and continued, so that was one of the notes I took early, was you just got to do something to take care of yourself. I don't know, what are your thoughts on, on this subject? No, I, I, I'm with you 100%. So I was thinking about this, and I really see four areas that go into longevity, right? One is a skill side of it. Do we learn and advance our skills? Do we work efficiently? Right? Yeah. That's one part. Part two is this personal health, wellness, diet, fitness kind of subject. Part three is sort of the career professional development side and where are we going and what are we doing? Do we just show up treating it as a job or are we going somewhere with this that gives us purpose that motivates making good choices, right? Nice. And the fourth one that comes to mind for me is, I'll use the term environment, but really I think we could use another E word, which is employer. Yeah. And we've all seen it, that the way that different companies treat their employees, utilize their employees, and maybe the word in some cases is use their employees, right? And, and are we as employees or partners or business owners or whoever we are, are we treating our human resources as expendable commodities that we can always get another one, we can replace them? Or are these precious resources that we need to cultivate and develop for everyone's benefit? So those four things, skills, health, career and environment, or I guess employer. Those, those are the four big parts that I see. What do you think of those topics? Uh, I think those are all great, great points. Uh, kind of the, the three bullet points that I wrote down, and I think there's a lot of crossover in here and maybe just worded a little different, were kind of what can you do at work to take care of yourself? You know, it was one of the big ones. Like how, and I think that goes from like you're saying with, you know, the employer you work for, you know, don't settle in a job where someone's taking advantage of you and working you into the ground. 
you know, but then also learning the skills, you know, constantly educating yourself. It gets, you know, I still climb every blue moon. I'll pull out the Blake's hitch and climb on it, whether I'm using it as a secondary rope within a tree and it's just easy to tie it real quick because I'm just going to use it real quick. Or sometimes I'll do it just to keep that skill fresh. You know, I look at these old skills as tools that are good to keep in your toolbox. But the problem is if, if it's somebody who refuses to learn new skills because they're so comfortable on those old skills that they won't, you know, expand their toolbox, expand their horizons and learn how the newer techniques are doing it. And so I think there's a big part in learning that as well, you know, and then you you hit on a really important subject there. Uh, Did we talk last time about the law of the lid? You know, I, I don't know. I've had a lot of conversations between now and then, so I can't guarantee we didn't, but I don't remember it. Let's let's revisit it briefly, if I may. Please. So the law of the lid comes from a book called 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's written by John C. Maxwell. Great book. For those of you who have jobs where you're doing a lot of driving between appointments, sales calls, maybe you got a long commute back and forth to the shop, this is an awesome audio book. Again, it's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. And number one law in there is called the law of the lid. And the concept is that the people we learn from, the people we work for, in many ways are the lid, the ceiling on our growth. And I'll give you an example from, you were using the Blake pitch, right? Yeah. I was just out at TCI Expo and talking with climbers from all over the country. And it was interesting. Some of them had never seen a zigzag in person. Some of them had never seen stationary ropes. Some of them, their experience is using, you know, true blue and a 4D ring harness on a Blake's hitch. And they're doing plenty of tree work. Don't get me wrong. But there's only so many times I need to body thrust to 60 or 80 feet, right? Yeah. And, the lid in their experience is they have not been exposed to these other techniques, these modern, more efficient methods for access and movement throughout the canopy. And one of the ways that I think that you and I and others who have, uh, let's call them platforms or influence in this profession, is to share ideas and knowledge that helps lift the lid by exposing people who haven't seen these kinds of techniques or tools, exposing them to new things that they can try and certainly decide what is best for them. But we need to raise that lid. We need to raise the ceiling so that when they think about getting into a tree, they're not just defaulting to the only way they've ever known. They're making an informed decision between different solutions that might be available to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. You know, I've, I've always been lucky enough to be around uh, really skilled forward-thinking arborists that were always looking for new ways. So I've my whole career I've you know been learning new stuff. But it is really amazing you do meet people, and it's not that they're they don't want to learn. I mean sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not that they don't want to learn, but it's just they're not exposed to it and they get caught up in that uh, that kind of that rush for production you know, that they're not taking time to learn something new because they're worried it's going to take time out of their day. You know, we all, everybody feels a little uncertain with a new technique when you can do just something that's always worked and do it real good and easy. 
Um, and it's hard to do that. It, I mean, I don't know the last time you brought a fully new technique into your practices, but you feel so clumsy when you first start doing it that it's really easy to just give it up and be like, I, I can just body thrust up there real quick, you know? Um, but it's so important to expand that way. Oh, it's, it's, it's super important. I got a great kind of silly example, if I may. Mm-hmm. Thinking about wellness and longevity, over the years, I've, I've always used my foot ascender on my right foot. And then when I use a knee ascender, I clip that to my left foot. That helps make a, you know, that uh, rope walking ascent much easier. Uh, and I said to myself, you know, I'd be better off physically. I would be more balanced if I practiced using my foot ascender on the left. Yeah. So I bought a left-footed foot ascender. And I thought, no big deal, a little practice. I put it on. I don't know. I was in a tree, uh, into, I think just in my yard, testing a few things. I'm like, oh, I'll start today. I felt like the biggest newbie, the biggest Gumby. And all I did was switch my foot ascender from my right foot <laughs> to my left foot. And it changed everything. And it really, like you were saying, put me back in the shoes of being new. Yeah. I felt so uncoordinated. So it's, it's a funny story. I, I never thought that the impact would be so great, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's such a key part of, of staying healthy it, while working. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so to what you were saying, one is climbers need to be exposed to these techniques and the opportunity to learn and decide what makes the most sense in the type of work they do, the tree they're in that day. But this connects to that environment employer thing as well. I, I've worked on some larger projects. I've also seen smaller companies that suffer from the, uh, it was good enough for me, it's good enough for you kind of mentality. You know, where they have the older climber owner, right? He probably doesn't climb anymore, but he leans out the window of the pickup truck and tells you how to do it, doesn't he? Yeah. And he climbed on a this or a that or that harness or this and all oh, that new stuff. That's not worth it. So he won't buy that equipment for his guy, right? He will only provide very basic kit that's probably nicer than he had, but he figures, eh, my guys don't need any more than that because I didn't need any more than that, right? I did the world's most epic tree work 25 years ago <laughs> that uh, today, yeah, you guys are just wusses and you should get used to it. And, you know, you can body thrust up there. Here, I'll get you a brand new 4D ring harness, you know, and I'm, I'm being a little silly about it. But there is that limitation that is created sometimes by, by the employer, yeah. right? Because they say, here's what we do. Here's what we use. Here's the equipment we issue to you. And if that's the only guy you've ever worked for, or this is a big company that says you can't bring your own equipment or you can't take it on this project, therefore you have to use what we provide, climbers get boxed in and they get weighted down by sort of these, these antique outdated systems. And the lid is falsely imposed, right? The lid is like being squished down on them. Yeah. And they are boxed in. And, and I feel for those men and women who are in those positions because there's so many other options out there. And so the employer employment environment goes along with the skill and equipment side as well. Yeah, no, it's, that is very true. You know, I, the, the one thing that I think I really haven't done much, well, there's a lot of stuff I haven't done much in the industry, but one of the things that kind of stands out for me that I kind of wish I had a little more experience with is most of my career has been for just a couple employers. You know, I've worked for myself or helped buddies here and there on the side. 
but the vast majority was working for my family business and then coming over to the city of Eugene. So it's like two main employers. And that's one of the things I think contract climbers get a lot out of uh, is witnessing different uh, different styles of work, you know, different the way different companies are doing it. What do you, I know you've done a lot of contract climbing. What do you, what would you say are some of the uh, kind of warning signals? Kind of the maybe the a term you used last time, like yellow or red flags. If you're working for a company, what kind of things are you seeing that kind of make you worried that maybe this person isn't really looking out for the health of the uh, employees as much as maybe they should? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I can think of a few different things that I've seen over the years in contract climbing roles, also in um, safety supervision roles, watching the work of many, many companies on large projects, subcontractors that I would often see. And a couple of things. One is the condition of the personal protective equipment, condition of fall protection harnesses, ropes, carabiners, those kinds of things. And not just the condition of it, but the age and sort of the era of it, right? When you see somebody on climbing on true blue, yeah. right? Where you see a lot of 16 strand ropes. You see, well, heck, you could see three strand ropes too, right? You know, see people on older style equipment. There's nothing wrong with that. It just makes me wonder when nobody has new gear, or yeah. newer style equipment. That's sort of a yellow flag. Uh, second would be, I alluded to this, when things are in poor condition, right? Uh, I heard a story recently of a, a company locally that a colleague of mine went to do some training for, and so much of their personal protective equipment failed in initial inspection, they couldn't even run the training that day. Jeez. They had to get new equipment in order for this person to be willing to conduct climbing training with them because their equipment was so poorly maintained. And it's not the employee's fault. The employees didn't know any better, right? It's a culture thing, and culture is a reflection of the owner. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing is I see is where, I don't know if it's the crew leader, but the loudest person, the biggest mouth on the crew has uh, an overstated influence on the rest of the development of the team, right? Yeah. This, you know, we've all worked in those environments where there's one guy who's super noisy, noisy and may have only been doing it a few years, may have been doing it for 30 years, but he or she has this outsized influence and almost bullying relationship with the other employees. And it makes them uncomfortable trying new things. Um, if I can share a quick story, I had an experience like that when I was newer in the profession. Yeah. I, uh, and maybe I mentioned this to you last time we talked, but uh, I, I didn't uh, come up with a lot of chainsaw experience. I didn't grow up using a chainsaw. And uh, so getting into arboriculture was really my first exposure to it. And they're using them a little bit. I mean, we wore chaps, those kinds of things. I became aware of chainsaw pants. And I thought, you know, this is a really good idea. I'm doing a lot more cutting. I'm working with bigger saws. I'm just going to get some, some saw pants. I can wear them in the tree, wear them on the ground. This will be good for me as I'm learning. And I wore those in the shop the first day, and I just got a, a raft of crap. <laughs> just this trash talking from other employees who are sitting there, you know, in their ripped jeans and Carhartts talking smack about this nice pair of saw pants that I invested in. 
And I'll tell you what, wearing those that second day was really, really hard. Yeah. I was fighting the culture of the company and particularly this one really loudmouth guy. And was he right? No, of course not. The idea of, you know, bullying somebody, talking crap around their investing in high quality personal protective equipment. What a terrible aspect of culture in that company. But these kinds of things happen all the time. And they are really impactful in a negative way on new up and coming high aptitude people in this profession. People who are excited to be doing what we do, but are yet very easily influenced because they just haven't done it that long, right? They don't have their feet under them yet to stand up and say, hey, knock it off, right? I really don't care what you think. They're so easily influenced. And so you ask me, what do I see? That sort of bullying personality of sort of the don't be a wuss, you know, you can do it this way, you don't need that. What do you need all that shiny crap for? I find that to be one of the biggest yellow or red flags about safety culture and then the health and well-being of employees within a company. When that is tolerated, I worry about the other people on that crew. Yeah, that that's uh, that that kind of reminds me of two things. So uh, first, I remember the my first day going to work at the city, and the the city is, I mean, as you'd imagine, municipality, very forward thinking when it comes to safety, but nobody else there had saw pants on. And I came in the first day with my saw pants and I earned the nickname fancy pants really quickly (laughs) because I had the fancy pants on and, uh, I just embraced it. I was like, sweet. I'm, I love my fancy pants. You know, like these are my saw pants that keep me safe. (laughs) And it wasn't that people, you know, didn't wear chaps and it wasn't that, you know, not shortly after everybody got saw pants because people realized, Hey, you know, yeah, fancy pants and all, but there's something to it. If, if nothing else, just from the, he doesn't have to stop and put chaps on. It was nice. You know, I got, I could grab the saw and just start cutting. But, uh, what, what it kind of brings me to is that, and you're, you know, that whole idea of the kind of loud mouth on the crew is you don't have to be the boss to be the leader. You know, that's one of those misconceptions that a lot of people think that just because I'm not the boss, you know, I'm not the leader, but that's a little bit of a dangerous uh, spot to be if you're going to take on that leadership role whether you recognize it or not if you're being the loud person and you're kind of influencing the other people around you remember you might not entitle be the boss but you're going to start leading people for better or worse you know leadership isn't a good or a bad thing it depends on how that person is leading whether it's a good or a bad thing and so you know you can be the new guy on the crew or, you know, lower on the totem pole. And if you're the person that's willing, has the personality to stand up and vocalize, then know that there's a responsibility with that. Yeah, and I, I, I would add to that. I don't think it's just verbal. I think it's not just vocal. It's by your actions. 100%. Right? Yeah. Because I, I'm going to guess when you went to the city, you didn't go in there, you know, yakking about how good saw pants were. You just wore them and everybody saw how convenient it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you bring up a super interesting point. We all have the opportunity uh, to influence those around us for better or worse, right? Yeah. We talked about it earlier in a negative way, but as you said, it can absolutely be positive. And that positive influence can be subtle or it can be overt, right? And it sort of is going to depend on one's level of confidence and experience and the culture of that workplace as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. That that's a big a big part is that culture. You know, creating that safe work environment kind of leads to in my mind the health and longevity as a safety issue. You know, if you like if you have that safety culture, you're going to even as a boss, you're going to have longevity as in your employees are going to want to hang around at your company if you're treating them right. You're going to have longevity within your employer employee. Compared, you know, that means that every investment that you make training them, they're not going to go and take that training to starting their own company or go to the next uh, person hiring because they don't feel respected. If you create a really healthy, safe culture, you're going to kind of hold on to that investment and it's going to be better, not just for the person and their health and longevity, but for the health and longevity of your business as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The last year and a half, has changed so much about how we uh, as employers or employees view our work environment. And it's one thing, you know, to treat an employee as disposable, right? And I'll get somebody else if you're not going to do your job when you think you can hire somebody else. But how many people have you heard from in this profession right now who are just dying to find anyone, right? Nobody's saying, where do I find a good climber? They're asking, where do I find anyone who wants a job? It's crazy. And all of a sudden, it has changed this whole dynamic of I'll get somebody else to, oh, my God, please don't leave. And it's done some really interesting things, and some of it's beyond our conversation today, but employers are responding to this need to retain employees in what I see as one of two ways. One is they're throwing money at people. And, and the reason I know that's happening, one, is hearing about what people are getting paid and, you know, what's being offered to them either to uh, lure them to other companies or to keep them in their current job. And more money is a good thing, generally. Uh, but also, have you noticed very few people are contract climbing right now, Andrew? Uh, I've, I have noticed that a couple people I know that, we're contract climbing have kind of settled down into companies. And I've also, you know, uh, some friends that I've run into that, you know, have like cone picking contracts and stuff just cannot find anybody. I mean, everybody's like, Hey, Andrew, do you know anybody that I can reach out to? You know, it's, I, I hadn't really connected those dots, but it, it, it registers with my experience. Yeah. My observation is based on my own experience. It sounds like you're seeing it is people aren't leaving to say, I'll go contract. Maybe they're starting their own company. Maybe not. I don't know. But my impression is employers are paying more either directly or in benefits or whatever it might be to retain employees. But you know what? Interestingly, we think of money as being the big driver for keeping people, but that's not what the research shows. And and I can't quote any particular study, but there've been a number of articles I've read recently, presentations I saw at Expo and other places that Good companies retain great people by doing a lot more than money. It's about culture. It's about safety environment. It's about professional development. It's about recognition, learning opportunities, all those kinds of things that create career opportunities, not just a job, right? You can get paid more for a job. You can get paid less for a job, but a job is not a career. Yeah. And it's interesting, we, right? We're talking about longevity, and this is a super important point. How do we view our work? Is this we go to work and we do a job, 
You know, is it just J-O-B? Are we showing up to do whatever we're asked to do and get paid money? Right? Are, are we just day labor? I think not, or at least most of us are not, right? Yeah, I, that we're going somewhere with this. You know, I was sitting down with a couple of uh, longtime Portland arborists. I mean, I would imagine you know Ryan Cafferty and Tyler Zuniga. Yeah, I'm horrible with names, and but the names sound very familiar. Yeah. Ryan and Tyler are good friends of mine and been longtime contract climbers and trainers in the Portland, Oregon, and West Coast area. We were sitting out at the airport after TCI Expo and talking about our experiences and when arboriculture for us went from being just a job to a career. And we were sort of sharing our stories of when that light bulb went on and we saw this as more than an income opportunity, more than something cool to do Monday through Friday, but as something that had longevity, that had opportunity, that was going somewhere, not just going paycheck to paycheck. And that is a big part of changing our mentality about this. And that we don't just show up to do what we're told and get paid. We show up because we learn something every day. We're developing as arborists and we are improving our future by the work that we do each day. Uh, I'll, I'll do another name drop for you. A friend of mine, uh, Matt Chapeo in Colorado owns a company called Preservation Tree Care. It's a great company. And Matt is, Matt is a very cerebral arborist. He's always thinking about sort of the philosophy and psychology of what we do in people and life. And he shared something with me and I was just chatting him about, uh, with him about it the other day. And he said, you know, as we're growing our companies, and I think the same could be said as one is growing one's career, that it's not about how much money you make, not about the accolades or the credentials or the job titles, but it's about who you become in that process. Yeah, And that is stuck with me, right? And our professional development goes hand in hand with personal development. And somebody once said, if you don't learn something on the job every day, you're missing out on half of your compensation. And I believe that to be entirely true. And taking that career-oriented professional development mindset, rather than just showing up to do what you're told and get paid, that in and of itself creates purpose and extends our careers. You know, that... That's interesting. Uh, I heard a lot of times people think it's money that the reason why we work, but more important for a lot of people than money at a certain point. I mean, you got to cover your bills and everything, right? But once you've got your, you know, that part taken care of, more important is respect. And so people think it's money because you feel more respect if you get more money. But there's a lot of ways to give respect that aren't money. So long, again, so long as the bills are paid, so long as you feel stable in your life you know whether it's sending your employer employees to training or you know uh you know throwing a uh a safety meeting after work at the local pub and just making everybody if you respect them absolutely absolutely and if i can put a little uh little plug in here i've been thinking about this from an employer standpoint that you know we're a small company we're growing we're getting ready to hire two people full time. So the, the quick plug is if you are a career minded arborist in the Seattle area or you're interested to come into Seattle, drop me a line. I'd be very interested to talk to you. Oh, that's but what I wanted to say. Oh, man, I, it'd be awesome. So if you're listening, you're career minded, you like climbing, you like tree care and preservation, I would love to talk to you. And, and I'll share with you, Andrew, and with everyone listening. I've been thinking about this from an employer standpoint 
of in this in this business climate we have where there's such competition and, and such limited availability of skilled professionals, how am I going to attract and then how am I going to retain really the best people? If yeah. my desire and intention is to build the highest skilled, highest quality tree care business in Seattle, I know the kind of people I need. How am I going to find them? What can I offer them and how am I going to retain them? How do I create the best opportunity for them? Because if I can create opportunities for them to learn, grow, develop, be involved, participate, have influence in this profession, if I can create that, I know they're going to do exactly what we need for the company to succeed as well. Oh, yeah. that That is great. If you're listening to this and you are just getting started, or you are know somebody who wants to get a leg up in the industry, call Tree 133 because that it, it kind of sounds like you're look, looking for almost like an apprentice, you know, someone that you can start at the beginning and just teach them how to navigate the industry. No, oh, I, I appreciate it, Andrew. And I would tell you honestly, when we think about hiring, uh, oh, I'll share a book with you. Have you read Groundy? yet by Jeff Jefferson. No, that's on my list though, because, uh, oh, he so is good. one of the great authors within our industry. And in the introduction to this book, his book is groundy. It just came out in the last maybe six months. He talks about the idea of being teachable. Yeah. Right. Sometimes the word is coachable, right? Maybe that feels a little better. And often I hear employers or fellow business owners say, oh gosh, I got to always break habits with people. I sometimes think it's easier just to hire somebody brand new. Well, maybe sometimes that's the case. But if we, any of us, go into an environment being teachable, being coachable, being motivated to learn, rather than motivated to just try to show somebody how good we are, right? Puff out our chest. If we go in motivated to learn, being teachable, being coachable, Oh man, that is the most important characteristic for any level, any level of arborist. And, and so I, sure, I would love to hire somebody in an apprentice role, but if somebody has more experience and you like learning and you want to go farther, I am, and I'm sure every other quality company is doing the same thing, which is looking at how do we create career opportunities, not just jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the whole teachable thing, I think that can be extended to if you want to teach people, if you want to be a mentor to someone, learn how to become teachable. You know, that's like, that's how you, how you put yourself in the mind state to be able to teach because you have to be able to understand the information on a level that you could teach it to be able to teach someone. And the best way to do that is to find that teachable mind state. Oh, it's well said. You know, it's the, uh, the, uh, the sponge, right? Yeah. Just uh, constantly absorbing and digesting and putting together information, picking it up from everywhere we can. Books, magazines, YouTube, podcasts, yeah. uh, presentations, watching, learning. I'm sure you're like I am, Andrew, which is, constantly looking for new and better ways. Yeah. That, that never stops. It constantly, our profession is evolving and we have to evolve with it. Well, and that's the thing, like you, 
you don't really, if you want to be up on the latest and greatest and best ways to do something, and after all, that's not just wanting to do the best ways of doing something, but if you want to become the most efficient and be able to make money for your company, it's about finding those ways to do it. Then, I mean, that's the only way to go. You, as soon as there's, there's a weird hang up, you know, where people, people like just like you were saying at the beginning, get into their way of doing it. And this is how I've always done it. And I'm not sure if it's ego or kind of fear that like, Hey, if I don't do this way has worked for me. And if I change it, it might not work. Or, you know, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like once they get over that that point where they kind of shed the old ways and they try new ways, all of a sudden people just want more and more. It's like the floodgates are opened up and people's game grows so much, you know. it. I, well, talking to uh, Dan Krause about how he first started out, he was talking about how when he first started, they were spurring trees. You know, they... They were like, he was telling us about all the crazy things. And he's one of the best climbers I've seen climb now. You know, he's up on all the latest tricks. But he was able to have that attitude and that mindset of wanting to be a little better. What's the newest, latest, greatest, you know? And I think that's one of those things you get out of, uh, get out of stuff like the TCIA conference that you went to or climbing competitions or ISA conferences. You know, it's that networking. Kind of what we're trying to do here is, connect with the community and you know there is some selfishness of doing this i've learned a lot just from having conversations with other arborists you know that's what it's all about oh yeah absolutely and, and dan kraus is such a phenomenal climber that's a great example do you know the name uh noel boyer uh i'm not sure if i do no and so noel is a uh, he owns a company called all about trees in springfield missouri okay and they are uh, among those who know him, I think one of the highest regarded workplaces in our profession. Yeah. He, he's got a small team of, I want to say it's 15 or 17 people of which 10 are certified arborists and the rest of them are studying for the test right now. They just haven't been in the profession long enough to get their certification. But Noel, Noel's a longtime um, climber, competitor, has uh, been involved with tree climbing championships. He's now a board member for TCIA. He did a great talk at Expo this last weekend in Indianapolis, and he was talking about how do you retain great people. And he was giving an example about tree climbing competitions, and your comment reminded me of it, Andrew. And he said they decided to buy a bus. I was like, a bus? What did you buy a bus for? They bought like a, like a team bus, like a 24-passenger, you know, smaller <laughs> bus. Yeah. And they, as a company go to tree climbing competitions, either to compete or to volunteer. Oh, that is And he so said cool. that investment has paid off hugely both for the development of his team and their individual professional development, but it has paid off big time for his company because it's such a great time they have together and they learn and share and develop and it's sort of team building for themselves and it's professional development for every one of them. So they bought a bus. They've got a company bus that they take to tree climbing competitions. That How is cool so, is that? Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. No, we, uh, back in the day, I think we may have taken a bus to, or at least an RV to a competition. And it wasn't like a team bus or it wasn't the same thing he's doing. It just, uh, my brother had one. And so we all, and it was a great trip. It was like a party the whole way, you know, cause we're all hanging out and just a bunch of tree guys doing our thing. Oh, that, uh, 
That's a great idea. And it, in my mind, it kind of goes to that same idea of, you know, like production isn't always about going as hard as you can all the time. You know, it's it kind of the same idea as you want to take your breaks during the day. Cause if you just go a hundred percent all, all day, you're going to be burnt out by lunch, you know, but if you, yep. if you pace yourself and it's the same idea from a, uh, kind of production standpoint as an overall business. If you just push your guys so hard, you're not, you're not having that building that fun into the company, you know, that having a bus you can go to on a climbing competition with, or doing trainings where people can get to know each other outside of a, you know, the on the job environment. Uh, you're building that longevity into your company the same way, you know, taking that break, you know, going hard, you know, getting that extra, but not going so hard that you run everybody into the ground, you know, by lunch or by Wednesday. And then you got Thursday and Friday of just a shot crew, you know, it's so important. Oh, and, and you're sort of transitioning uh, us to something we haven't talked about yet, which is that sort of personal health and wellness subject that is so important. And I'll tell you, honestly, I've learned a lot about this just in the last couple of years. As I've gotten older, I turned 45 just last month and needing to take care of my body uh, becomes more and more important every year. Like when I turned 41, I really noticed it. I feel it a little bit more each year. And there are a number of things, decisions, changes that I've made in my own sort of personal health, wellness, fitness regime that for me have made a big difference. And I am no scientist. Uh, but I have been learning from others, picking up a lot of things. Honestly, I've picked up a lot from my wife, uh, who really thinks about and digs into this health diet kind of subject. And, and I think it's as you know, tough tree guys, right? You know, you got to put that special voice on to say tough tree guys. Uh, we sometimes overlook the health side, right? Yeah. You know, we maybe have a beer fridge in the shop, you know, you know, guys maybe go out and have a smoke, you know, on a break or, uh, you know, we stop at Taco Bell for, you know, some food, if it qualifies as food, you know, on the yeah. way between jobs, you know, or, you know, we're bringing cold pizza in our lunchbox yeah. or we're not eating breakfast or we're drinking monster on the way to the job because we're out a little bit late last night. Right. And that, that'll get you amped up, but it doesn't take you very far. No. And I have to tell you that, that diet and decisions about my own health have become so important to me, and I've really changed my approach to it in the last few years. What, what are your thoughts about this subject? Oh, I think you're on point. When I was, when I was uh, young, you know, getting into tree work when you're kind of, when you're in your late teens and early 20s, I mean, it is a great thing for someone that age to get into because you are just ready to go. I mean, you're looking for something to put that energy into and man tree will work will provide it, but you don't always make the best decisions, you know, when it comes to having beers after work, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, if you, if you want to have a beer after work, go for it, but make sure you're not crashing your, the next day or, you know, make sure when you, even if you still can show up to work, you know, that might not be the state of mind you want to be in, to be able to push through a big job. You know, I've like, trust me, I've been there. I've made mistakes. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just over 40 myself. You know, I'm, uh, 41. It, that what I've noticed about it 
It's just when I beat myself down, it takes my body a little bit longer to kind of recharge and get back into it, you know? So a big part of that is you got to eat good. You got to eat a good lunch. You got to make sure you got your diet down, you know, in kind of everybody's body's different, has different needs and, you know, figure out what those needs are and give that body those needs. For me, I all have, you know, some krill oil and some turmeric and I have a couple little supplements like that, that I, you know, feel a little bit better if I've got those going on in my diet and in my life as well, you know, and then the other one that I think a lot of tree guys could do good to listen to is hydrate, drink water, you know, just constantly drink water, you know, that's one of those ones that water is the lubrication that keeps the mind, the body running. So you're not going to get too much of it. Oh, that's all super important points. Yeah. And hard won experience, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's the kind of thing that, and when you're young, you don't know any better. So, you know, and it's fun to have beers and stay out with your buddies and go hard. And, you know, when you're young, you feel like you can do it. So you just do it. But as soon as you start realize, you know, as soon as you aren't doing it anymore and you start living like experiencing tree work from a well-rested, well-nourished perspective, it's, uh, it's so much nicer. (laughs) Oh, it, and it, and it changes your whole life too, you know, and I don't want to get too new agey on it, but if I might share a little bit of my own experience over the last couple of years, uh, I had the, I had the opportunity in 2019 to go over to the European tree climbing championship, um, and volunteered over there as a technician and then, um, ended up spending some time with an arborist up in Sweden and who was a good friend of mine. And interestingly, he'd been a vegetarian for 30 years and he said, Hey, love to have you come stay at our house in the country, but I'll tell you, our house is veggie. And so you stay with us, we'll cook, you eat what we make. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, sounds good. My wife and I were both there and, wow, I really enjoyed what we ate. And we started looking into um, reducing animal products in our diet. And we're now almost two and a half years that we've been vegetarian, non-dairy. And I went from being, let's see, January of 2019, 2018, 2019, I guess. January 2019, I was 207. That's the most I've ever weighed. I was a little shocked. My, my driver's license said 195, but I was 207. I was still climbing, but I was busy running my business and doing some consulting and not taking care of myself as well as I should. We had this experience with my friend Degare in Sweden. We switched our diet. And today, two and a half years later, I'm 183 pounds, climbing as well as I ever had, and I feel great. And for us, switching to a vegetarian diet, uh, very few processed foods, very, very little added sugar, uh, cutting out a lot of oil, uh, eliminating dairy. Now, I sound crazy saying this, right? Like what kind of tree guy? It has made a huge, huge difference for me. I sleep better. I have more energy during the day. My fitness overall is much better. My recovery time is better. It has genuinely changed not only my work experience, but my life outside of work. Yeah. You mentioned recovery, Andrew. I find that I'm able to recover much better and I can live my life outside of work, not just be on the couch, you know, dragging ass yeah. after a hard day in the tree. Yeah. Oh, that it's so important to get that dialed in. I, uh, 
I I'm not to that point. I don't I'm I'll have some meat here and there, but I definitely turned my diet around. Well, it's probably been about eight years ago now, maybe a little bit more. Uh, my dad actually had a heart attack and it was looking, it was, you know, it was looking real bad. The type of thing where me and my brother raced down to Southern California because we had no idea which way it was going, you know, and, uh, I was sitting there and the doctor was kind of like, all right, well, what he needs to do is he needs to stop drinking soda. He needs to cut fast food out. He and it started giving me all these things that he needs to do. And I'm sitting there thinking like, well, I mean, me and him share genetics. And if I can do cut that stuff out now, I might be saving myself a little bit of a headache later. And uh, absolutely, the, the good news is dad is doing great now and I don't I can't say he's cut everything out I'm not there watching his diet all the time but just the fact that he's doing good now is a sign that he's done a good job of uh taking it serious but I took out a lot of that stuff out of my diet at that point you know I I can't say I've never eaten fast food since then but very rarely maybe once a year you know and very rarely drinking soda almost never and so I've kind of made a lot of those changes and those were really big for me but then I blew out uh, my, well, I've, I've had a shoulder injury that happened, you know, almost 20 years ago, but it, uh, I broke a bunch of tendons in there, but the doctors at the time, you know, I was about 18 at the time, or, uh, sorry, about probably 20 at the time, just getting into tree work. And they said, you know, the surgery we can do for it, there's a 50% chance that you'll lose half your strength and flexibility. So they said, let it heal and see, see where you get it back, you know? And so I got most of it back. I was probably a good 75, 80% back. So I was like, I'm not rolling the dice. Well, 15 years later, I hit my shoulder and pop the last kind of tendons holding it together go. So I had to go in and have this surgery. And that was, uh, I was probably around 38 when that happened. 37, 38. And, you know, having surgery, not being mobile is not good for somebody right at about that late spot in their <laughs> life. So I yep. went from, you know, when back when I was, uh, doing, uh, tree climbing competitions more regularly. And when I was more competitive, I was trying to get, I was trying to be at about 175, 185. And I got up to about 225, 230 after that surgery, I put on a ton of weight, just sitting around healing and you know, your mind doesn't think that you, you eat like you've always eaten and your body's hungry because you're healing, but you're just not very active, you know? And so I had to, I got, you know, for a tree guy, putting all that extra weight on makes a huge difference in your day-to-day -day job. You know, being able to lift yourself up into that tree is a whole different game when you got all those extra pounds on you. So what I started doing is I one I started doing uh, jujitsu because that is a great exercise. Just you know, you'll start sweating like crazy. But then I also started doing intermittent fasting, so I like picked up my activity outside of work, and then I I you know try to stop eating around nine o'clock, and then I don't eat until noon the next day. And at first, you know so some people were telling me about it and how, how much it had helped them. And I was like, there's no way that's happening doing tree work. You know, like I'm going to have to eat breakfast. I'm, you know, to get ready for the day. And then I'll have a snack before lunch, probably at some point, even if I'm just grabbing a handful of food, you know, when I'm at the truck. Um, but 
it has been awesome. The first little bit took a little getting used to, but, uh, I feel great. I haven't, I haven't felt like I've lost any energy through it. And, you know, I've, I probably got down to about 195, you know, uh, pretty comfortable spot to be at. And yeah, I like the, the intermittent fasting thing has worked great for me. I mean, I'm not a doctor before you do anything on your diet, consult someone who knows what they're talking about. Not just some stupid guy that stupid tree guy that wants to do a (laughs) podcast. You know, I'm not a dietitian. Uh, but hey, it worked for me. So if you're looking for some kind of diet advice, look into it. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned it because uh, intermittent fasting was actually an important part for me getting back into call it fighting weight. Yeah, and so you and I both had positive experiences, and I totally agree with you. Don't take nutrition advice from two tree guys on a podcast, but yeah. do your own research. Talk to a dietitian. Talk to your doctor. Um, but you know, there's there's more to it. You mentioned fitness and jujitsu, I was, um, this is a roundabout way to get there, but I was a volunteer firefighter for a few years. And one of the things that we learned about in our fire academy is the number one cause of death for firefighters. Do you know what that is? Uh, what is it? Heart attack. Oh, wow. I believe it though. All that equipment in a high stress situation. Absolutely. And you know what it is as well? Weight and diet. Yeah. And I, I think about that one, cause it, it's something that was important to me, but two, we think of tree work as being this great workout, right? Your backyard is our gym. You know, we've seen that bumper sticker. Uh, but the fact is that repetitive motions, uh, working in difficult environments, working in challenging environmental conditions, wind, cold, rain, etc., slippery, whatever it might be, it's not the same as focused fitness training. It's yeah. not the same as doing cardiovascular work. It's not the same as stretching, yoga, plyometrics, building flexibility, core strength. We do the same things over and over and over, whether we're picking up wood rounds and walking them out of a backyard or we're climbing a tree where we're constantly pulling or we're using a handsaw, or we're using a pole pruner. We have these repetitive motions that build up, uh, you know, hypertrophy, overbuilt muscles in some areas, and atrophy others. You know, I, I think about what we don't do. We don't, we don't run, and we don't push. We do a lot of pulling, but we don't push. So in every morning for me, I do some yoga, some stretching, do some push-ups, do some cardiovascular activity. admittedly some days all of that is done in five minutes and other days it's 20 minutes of plyometrics and then go for a run sort of whatever i have time for and the energy for but doing something to loosen up warm up get the body moving and be sure that i'm preserving or promoting good range of motion throughout my body that's really important not just going to work and saying i do tree work therefore i'm strong and healthy because if you eat like crap and you don't take care of your body outside of the job, you're not going to do either of those very long. Yeah. No, the way, the way I always looked at it is, uh, when I'm, you know, what you do just, you know, just through your day to day life. And for that, for us, that's climbing trees and everything we do, that's baseline. And 
you don't want to be baseline. You want to be constantly trying to get above up to that next level. And so, you know, it, I really, it's all about for me personally, finding an activity. Maybe it's the ADD guy in my mind, but I'd always want to find an activity that would kind of keep me going, you know? And so that way, when I get off work, I had something to go do that would then be exercise also that would up my baseline. Cause if you want to be if you want to just stay stagnant at work, just do the same thing you've always done. But if you want to keep getting better, then you got to do something when you're not at work to keep getting better. When, uh, like I say, back when I was uh, competing more, you know, and I was never a world-class co- competitor, you know, but I was pretty good. My, my best foot lock, I did a 50 foot foot lock in 20 seconds. And in training, I was able to get one out in 17, you know, so it right it, on. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, I felt pretty good about it. And, uh, you know, to the kind of stuff I would do back then is I would go paddleboarding. You know, that I got a paddleboard and I lived close enough to a body of water, so I would just go put that in uh, the reservoir over by where I was living. And sometimes I'd, and it was the same thing that you're saying. There was days where I'd put it in and I'd just be tired, and so I'd paddle like just down and just be shot and just kind of let the wind blow me back to shore. You know. Um, but then there was days that I was, you know, didn't have a big day or, you know, it was an extended weekend. So I had all kinds of energy and I'd just go out for hours and just, you know, I'd find activities that had a lot of those balance exercises, you know, a bunch of different muscle groups being used and just go hard because that's the only way to get better. Right on. No, you're exactly right, man. You're exactly right. And, and uh, there's so many things we can do when we are thinking about our careers and how do we extend our longevity as arborists? You know, we can improve our skills. We can learn to new techniques. We can become more efficient. You know, we can promote health and wellness through diet and fitness. You know, we talked about career and professional development and finding employment opportunities that support us in doing that. Right. And are treating us as professionals and creating opportunities rather than treating us like consumable resources. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of control over our experiences, but we have to recognize the importance of those decisions and, and not wait 20 years, right, until we're broken and we're trying to th- get fixed. Yeah. Right? We can make changes today, whether we're you know, in our 40s like you and I, or for those of you listening, if you're in your 30s or 20s or maybe even late teens getting started in this profession, uh, you can make changes in how you're going about your work, how you're approaching it, how you're approaching your life that will dramatically extend your career. Yeah. It's so important to think forward. You know, you just got to think about, you know, uh, I can't remember where it was, but think about that. You're trying to do something for yourself in 10 years. Like if you could give yourself in 10 years, a gift, what would it be? You know, and the best way to do that is take care of your body. Cause that, you know, your body, that's what you're giving yourself in 10 years. <laughs> you know, they're going to have Absolutely. to deal with whatever breaks what, or whatever's been really taken care of and whatever's been exercised and is good to go, you know, so. Yeah. That is so Yeah, I'm, I'm 45. You know, my, my goal is that uh, when I'm 50, I only climb trees because I want to. I don't climb trees for money when I'm 50. Okay. But I want to get to that point and be able to make that choice for myself. Yeah. Rather than having, you know, my body break down and it makes a choice for me. So totally. you're exactly right. We can give ourselves that gift by making good decisions today. Well said. So, uh, so Craig, I know you've been working on some stuff, uh, 
What do you got coming up on the horizon? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Andrew. I actually am. I'm excited to talk about something that sort of isn't public knowledge yet, but I'd love to share it. Uh, as you may know, I've done a number of webinars for tree stuff. We've talked about cutting with chainsaws. We've talked about rigging. We've talked about work positioning. Uh, and was asked to work with TreeU, sort of their online educational development group. Uh, and we have put together, we've recorded a whole series of chainsaw safety and fundamental cutting techniques modules. Everything from assembling the saw, understanding terminology, uh, maintenance, uh, fundamentals of how does a chainsaw cut, how does the chain and tooth work, to limbing and bucking out in the field, uh, felling plan, making face cuts and bore cuts, dealing with storm damage. Oh my gosh, (laughs) this project kind of ballooned. It's nine modules that we're working through right now, and I'm hoping around the end of the year that those will... uh, those will be ready to launch and those will be available through tree you. So I'm, I appreciate you asking. It's something that, that we've been working on in the background in addition to you know being out in the field, but man, it's, um, it's pretty cool. And I hope it's going to be of value to, to all of you out there in the field. Oh, there's so much. I think that's one of those uh, stepping stones that we take in our careers as arborists. Cause you get in and you've, you know, you're just learning the haul brush and then, and at a certain point, you learn how to maintain the saws and you learn how, how a saw really works, not just pull the string and start cutting, but you start understanding the physics of how the saws, how the chain cuts and where the dangerous points on that bar are and then how to clean it out, how to take care of your. I mean, you can go so deep on that and it, you know, on the idea of longevity there, it plugs in so many ways. You got to keep your tools good, you know, that, so they last long enough for you to get the, get the uh, job done. And also the safety implications of understanding how a chainsaw works. I mean, that's how you can really hurt yourself if you don't understand the physics that you are dealing with. Because as we know, we, we work in an industry where we are dealing with crazy powers. And so you really got to understand that. I can't wait to, uh, to check that out. I know, I don't know when, when do you think it's coming out? I think it's going to be the end of the year. <laughs> Honestly, it ended up being a bigger project than we expected. We covered, you know, more of a kind of a more of a base of knowledge than we expected. So it's delayed it a little bit. So it's probably going to be December sometime, maybe the first of the year. But uh, Andrew, I don't know if your experience was like mine when I when I started in this profession. You know, I was out on the job a few days, and they handed me a chainsaw and a pair of chaps and said, "Don't cut yourself, son." Yeah. And now it was maybe a little better than that. But I look back and I'm shocked by what I didn't know. And One of my goals with this project, and, and, I, and I sure hope that I achieved it, my goal is to make sure that I've done everything I can to help my fellow tree workers be well prepared to utilize these important tools, utilize chainsaws on the job site, and use them safely and efficiently. And if we together, by getting this information out there, can reduce injuries on the job site, that's that would mean the world to me. So I, I love the opportunity to possibly you know, contribute to that by elevating the knowledge and skills of chainsaw operators in our profession. That, that sounds great. I lo- really look forward to it. And uh, when that, when that's coming out, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again and kind of go deeper. Cause I know I could talk chainsaws all night long. And I know Corey 
just got done doing a whole chainsaw class at the city and trained training a ton of people. So I guarantee he's down to talk about it also. So I look forward to getting into it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's have that conversation. Well, we had talked about, uh, before we started, we talked a little bit about, uh, talking about TCIA and kind of what you learned and presented out there. I know we touched on it a little bit. I had a really interesting conversation or a couple of them at TCI expos. You know, several of us who have been in the profession a long time were standing in the middle of the show floor. And for those of you who haven't been to a to one of these expos, this is in a huge convention center. This convention center is so big that among other things, there were probably eight full-size knuckle boom crane grapple saw setups. Wow. Eight of them with plenty of room. Booms raised. There must have been 10 or 12 uh, aerial lift trucks, bucket trucks. There must have been six to eight, uh, no, maybe more, maybe a dozen uh, spider lifts of various configurations. There were, you know, giraffes. The giraffe is a, uh, an all-terrain articulated vehicle that has a boom with a huge, like, two-and-a-half-foot diameter but buzzsaw on the end for doing line clearance in really rough terrain. Like this convention center is massive. And this doesn't count the chip trucks, chippers, plant healthcare, spray rigs, and then all the booths for vendors and manufacturers. This is a big place. There were 4,000 attendees. This was really cool. I'll tell you what, what's interesting though, for those of us who are, are climbers, and this place is full of big iron, and self-oriented to climbers is sort of sparse. And there's a good section over here, and there's some vendors over here, and a few manufacturers over here, but there's so much iron. And this conversation I was having with a few colleagues as we stood there and sort of took in this site was that being a climber is becoming more and more of a specialty in our profession. And that the trees that are reachable with machines, whether it's with an aerial lift truck, with a spider lift, or with a grapple saw or a knuckle boom crane, the trees that can be reached with that machinery, that's how they're going to be handled if they're not already. Yeah, It's the trees that you can't reach. It's the trees behind the house. It's the trees behind the power line. It's the trees down in the ravine the difficult spots, the difficult trees, the poor access, that's becoming the niche for climbers. And it means a lot of things. One, it means that being a climber, I, I believe over time, the pay scale will improve because the skilled climber will become even more in demand than they already are. Yep. But secondly, it means we're going to be working in more and more difficult trees in difficult locations. Right. Yeah. We're not, put, we're not going to be putting a climber in the ash tree in the front yard because somebody's going to reach it with a bucket truck or they're going to pull up with a spider lift. We're going to be in the difficult tree over the power lines behind the house next to the pool that rescue is hard. Everything has to be rigged. It's, it's going to become not only more specialized, but more challenging because all the easy trees are going to be done some other way. Now, maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, but that's the feeling that we came away with looking at this huge convention center full of big iron. 
And part of the reason that iron is there is the difficulty in finding employees. And when, as an employer, I look at the cost of buying equipment versus hiring a good quality climber, the cost of a chip truck and chipper is the same as a cost for an experienced foreman climber in a single year. In a single year, it's effectively the cost of a chip truck and chipper. And that math, when we appreciate it, makes clear why so many companies and the profession as a whole is moving toward equipment when we're having trouble staffing our companies. And it's just this interesting dynamic going on, and it's really driven home seeing a convention center full of big iron. It's really quite impactful. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Uh, like I was talking to you earlier, I can't remember if it was before we were on or not, but the uh, when I was in TCIA, it was in 2008, and I kind of had a similar feeling when I was there then because they had these giant chippers, these, you know, with giant winches, bigger than anything I'd ever seen before. And they had like chippers that skid steers could load up onto the front of, you know, and just like kind of mind blowing kind of debris management stuff. And then they had these spider lifts that were like, uh, I mean, at the time it was 110 and I'm sure they got ones that are way bigger now. But they had these huge spider lifts set up with these giant capacities. And that was my thought. And it's kind of interesting to hear that it's just kind of progressed and progressed. And it makes me wonder, what were the classes and the, the presenters talking about? Maybe what were your, you know, your top couple classes that stood out to you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I was doing a number of presentations myself, so I wasn't able to see as many as I wanted. But I'll share with you a few that I saw. Um, I mentioned the one earlier that Noel Boyer of All About Trees did regarding uh, retaining and developing high-quality employees. Yeah. That was one. Um, another one uh, that was climber-oriented, Phil Kelly did a great talk about selecting tie-in points and understanding loading and lateral loading and rope angles and tie-in point selection. So oh, for climbers, cool. that was super important. Yep. Uh, there were definitely several talks, which I didn't happen to see all around this, uh, grapple saw, you know, knuckle boom crane with a saw and, and claw on the end. That's a big topic. There was a, there was a whole, a panel discussion around that, that I think was a, a very busy topic and a lot of people attended. Um, there were some great topics, uh, discussions around safety culture, um, uh, Mike Tilford from Save a Tree, the Director of General Tree Care at Save a Tree, a good friend of mine, did a talk on that. Um, Melissa Levangi uh, from Out East uh, with Women's uh, Tree Climbing Workshop and and uh, Shelter Tree did a great talk around safety culture. Um, really focused uh, on leaders and business owners and how do we how do we create and establish high caliber safety culture that protects our employees. Now, that was a big subject. Um, I did a talk that actually I was pretty pleased was uh, well attended around contract climbers as a training resource. Um, well, there was a lot of sort of business owner leadership focused material. But there's also quite a bit around climbers and a lot around machinery as well. It was, I thought, pretty nicely balanced. There was a lot to choose from. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's good to hear that there, you know, the trainings about that there is that balance because Working when I came to the city, I'd never 
you know, I'd like done genie lifts, you know, the, the little lifts that you uh, rent, the telescoping ones, but I'd never used a bucket truck or, you know, I've all, I'd always mainly been a uh, climber. And so going to the city, it was, you know, I kind of went there like, oh man, I don't want to be a bucket baby working in a bucket truck. You know, I've, I've always kind of identified as this badass climber that can do anything is how I want to see myself, not as a guy that gets in the bucket truck. But then you, you know, especially working at the city, all the trees are right on the road there. So you've got good access and you just can't deny how fast it is to jump in a bucket truck and just go make the cuts you want and then be done. You know, so it, it really is the way the industry's going as long as that technology is improving. And, uh, I don't see anything stopping it from improving. So, you know, here we are. Yeah. And it's, but it's not going to replace climbers. What it means is that I think climbing is going to become more of a specialty, right? It's not necessarily something everybody does. I, I was talking with another business owner who said it's much easier for him to train an aerial lift operator than to train a climber. Oh yeah. Yeah. So think about that. Um, can you think of anything else that I've kind of exhausted my thoughts on, uh, on the longevity and health? Uh, is there an angle that I'm missing or is there anything you can think about that we should get into? Oh man, Andrew, I think we've hit the high points. You know me, I, I enjoy talking about anything related to arboriculture, but for this subject, I think we've hit the big stuff and man, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I think what you and the team are doing to share good quality information, these awesome, fun, informative conversations, I think you're doing great stuff and I'm honored to be part of it. Connecting back to where we started, there is so much to learn and there are so many paths to go in this profession. Whether one stays as a climber or gets into lift operation or crane work or into plant health care and tree diagnostics and treatment, gets into the consulting side, the sales side, the leadership, supervision, training, safety department, uh, or becomes a business owner. There are so many paths to go, and our careers as arborists are more than just spending time in the trees, but it's all about working with trees. And there's part of the way we gain longevity is not only through all those things we talked about earlier, but by becoming aware of our career opportunities and figuring out what are we passionate about and how do we pursue that and being intentional about exploring those options and finding things that resonate with us. And what we really are you know, enjoying at 25 will be different than where we are at 35 or 45 or 55 or even 65. And all that knowledge gained over time becomes extremely important. I was talking with Scott Baker of Tree Solutions, a very well-regarded consulting arborist here in Seattle, and we were sort of lamenting, uh, unfortunately, seeing a number of local consultants who didn't have the time working in the tree, who hadn't spent time cutting and climbing, loading the tree, and experiencing that, doing storm damage cleanup. They became consulting arborists through other pathways, and they bring their own expertise, but they didn't learn hands-on the same way that you and I and others have learned. And so gain every bit of experience you can because it will all come in handy as your career evolves. And that's, I think that's my parting thought. Learn everything you can, add it up and see where it takes you because there are so many cool opportunities 
in the profession of arboriculture. You never know where you're going to go. Yeah. I, I, Hey, I, I can't think of anything better than that. So I'll just wrap it up saying stay safe, stay healthy and have fun. <laughs>